Heavenly Father, you are glorious and mighty. You are worthy of all praise. We sing this. We say this. We read this. And many times we fail to live this. But we are here, Lord, according to your grace once again. That you would minister to us through your word. And Holy Spirit, we do ask that you'd empower me to clearly declare your truth. Above all, for your own glory. And the edification, the building up of your people. That we might know something more today. Of how unique the body of Christ is. And that we are unified, anchored in Christ Jesus, and therefore called to be unified. Help us to learn and to know and to grow. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. And welcome to um, any and all visitors here this morning. We're blessed to have you with us. Uh, We're working our way through the book of Romans. It's biblical exposition, verse-by-verse study of God's word. We believe every word of God is of vital importance, therefore we preach every word of God, at least to the best of the ability of the one standing behind the sacred desk, entrusting the Holy Spirit to illumine his truth to his people, for his people, and above all, as we say, as the Bible says, for his own glory, amen? This morning, uh, we're going to look specifically at verses 8 through 13 of Romans 15, but actually we'll be looking at the whole chapter in context to chapter 14. But I'd like to read the whole chapter, so if you would, open your Bibles to Romans 15 and stand for the reading of God's Word, and we'll trust Him to lead us through this. This morning, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Rome, made up of ethnic Jews, made up of numerous Gentiles, and he writes, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. For as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. 
And again it is, it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. God's word for God's people. You may be seated. For 11 full chapters, chapters 1 through 11, the epistle of Romans Paul expounded the truth of justification by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, grounding that truth into the doctrine of our union with Christ. And then he gets to Romans chapter 12, and he begins to make ethical deductions from that truth. Okay, ethical deductions from the fact that we have union an everlasting union with our Lord Jesus Christ. So if, if this is how God has saved us, what does that say about how we are to live our lives? Eleven chapters of the glorious doctrines of grace, followed by chapter 12, 13, 14, and 15, and how we are to live our lives as we're being shaped by grace. And then over the course of these last four chapters, he's been working out that truth, right? That our union with Christ manifests itself in a number of ways. Number one, how we're to serve according to giftedness. Okay, how we are as Christians to serve according to the gifts that God has given you. Everyone's gifted because everyone has the Holy Spirit. How we are to live with unbelievers, how we are to act and react to our enemies. How we are to relate to the civil government, chapter 13. And then in Romans 14, he talks about you know, how we're to deal with one another uh, when differences of opinion and or conscience exist amongst the local congregation. We've been at that for a number of weeks. So basically, beloved, he's talking about unity. He's talking about harmony and a God-glorifying people that are saved by grace, and in fact, again, are being, what? Shaped by grace. Saved by grace, therefore, shaped and being shaped until the day we go home, amen? By grace. And what he's dialing down for us, beloved, is what the kingdom of God is all about. Take your eyes back to chapter 14 and verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Now, again, those were the issues causing disunity and division within the body in Rome, within this church. Okay, but the kingdom of God is a matter of what? Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Okay, kingdom of God. What's that? Quite simply, it's this. The kingdom of God is the heavenly sphere of life, okay? The heavenly sphere of life on earth where God's word and his spirit govern. 
That is, his word and spirit govern a people, i.e., the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God. That's the context. The kingdom of God. And the kingdom is a matter of what? Righteousness. Righteousness. Now, righteousness here in this context is not being used in its judicial sense, that we are declared righteous in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our position, but that's not how he uses the word. He uses it in the practical, ethical sense. After all, Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first, protos, first in priority, seeking to do what is right, seeking to do that which is righteous as a kingdom child of God. Because we can. We can live holy lives because we have the, which spirit? The Holy Spirit. And then, it's about peace. Now, this is not meaning peace with God. We know we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. We no longer are at enmity with God. We're no longer at war with God. Yes, we do have peace with God, but that's not what he's referring to here. The peace he's referring to here is mutual harmony. That is unity, peace within the body of Christ, the kingdom children of God, who live righteously. Which produces what? Common joy. Joy. The results of of living that, that rises out of the commonness of integrity as kingdom people of God produces harmony within the church. The result is joy. Are you joyful? Don't fake it. Are you joyful? Amen. Yes, by faith I'm full of joy. The theme, beloved, is unity within the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here in this congregation at Rome, there was disunity between the weak and the strong, the mature and the immature within this body. The strong are those who had the faith to accept their freedom from Old Testament rituals, from Old Testament ceremonies. They have no concern about Sabbath days, feasts, festivals, new moons, or food laws. They're free from that. They realize they're free from that, and they have embraced that truth. They are free in Christ because he fulfilled all those things. The weak are those who do not feel within. They haven't been convinced in their mind at this point and therefore certainly haven't embraced the freedom that they have from Old Testament ceremony. So you had a body made up of those who understood their freedom and those who didn't. You had this group still observing Sabbath days, still holding on to external laws and rituals, incredibly concerned about dietary practices, new moons, feasts, festivals, traditions. So they were weak. They were weak in the sense, immature in the sense, that they weren't yet convinced in their minds by faith to accept their freedom in Christ. Even though the apostles have declared that freedom, even though the scriptures reveal that freedom, the weak ones didn't yet understand in their minds and therefore embrace it. And the weak in this context would generally be identified as Jewish believers within the church. 
because the Jewish believers in their church, many of them were, were, were making a hard break from Judaism. Paul referred to himself as one of the strong. We the strong, chapter 15, verse 1. We are strong, notice, look at the text, have an obligation, notice, to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to do what, beloved? To build him up. Why? Verse 3, that big four, F-O-R, for Christ. Remember the momentum of chapter 14, the context of chapter 14, moving into verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15, and, and then into this word for. Because of all of that truth, Christ did not please himself. And to say Christ did not please himself is one of the greatest understatements of the Bible. Amen? Is that not a grand understatement? He goes on then to, to cite Psalm 69.9. The reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. Quoting David, who's, who is prophesying one greater than himself, the greater David, the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning this, that all of the enmity, all of the rebellion, all of the iniquity, all of the blasphemy of sinful men directed towards God fell on Christ Jesus, the Son of God. Where, as a result, as a result of God's justice due to sin and sinful man, against that sin also fell on Christ. So he gets it from God the Father when his wrath is poured on him against sin. He gets it from sinful men who rejected him. The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. We get the picture? Christ did not please himself. Paul then reminds us of the comfort of Scripture. Verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we, Jews and Gentiles of the Roman church, might have what? Hope. Hope, all 66 books, the inerrant, infallible deposit of divine revelation is for your training, my training, and our hope. Hope. Now, if you're saved, you're not hoping to get saved, amen? No, what's our hope? Say it again. Glory. And you can say it like that, too. That's how we say it here. (laughs) The hope of glory. Guaranteed for those who are in Christ. The scriptures are here to give us endurance, encouragement. And and without the patience and comfort of the living word of God, by way of God the Holy Spirit, we'd be like the rest of the world. That is without hope. It's been well said. That amongst the world that is perishing are a people parading with pride and eloquence wearing thin disguises of their sad, hopelessness, end quote. To be without Christ is to be without hope, but to be with Christ is to have everlasting hope. And the scriptures provide this for us. That's why we preach. Men don't sit up here and make suggestions. They herald the truth by the power and authority of the Holy Spirit. 
That's what they need to do. You shouldn't be timid. This is hope. This is God's word provided for God's people. The kingdom, the kingdom people of God. And one reason is that God freely gives to us in the gospel what he requires under the law. Amen? Can you uphold the law? You get to have, how do you get to heaven? Perfectly uphold the law. Guess what? You're a sinner, so you can't do it. The good news is Christ has done it. He's upheld the law. He did it for us, or for those who believe, for the gods elect who will come to saving faith at some point in time. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. So Paul then speaks with a benediction, petitioning the Lord now, who gives us this endurance, who provides us this encouragement. Verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Don't miss that connection. That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's beautiful. Notice this happens. This harmony, this unity happens in accord with Christ. What does that mean? In thinking like Christ. We have a union with him. Therefore, we have a communion with him. We have his Holy Spirit. Therefore, we can think like him. According to what? The scripture. A church of men and women in Christ will think and act by the grace of God like Christ. Who, context, did not please himself. Do you know that when you come here, it's not about you? Do we realize that as the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not about you? See, we live in America where it's all about you. Advertisement is about you. Commercialism is about you. Consumerism is about you. We are not consumers. We shall not have a consumer mindset in the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? Because it's not about you, it's about him. Now, we have to repent of this thinking. I have to repent of that thinking every single day. Probably almost every moment of every day. Amen? It's not about me. It's about him. So then he goes on now and he draws another conclusion. Always with the word what? Therefore, verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Why? For what? The glory of God. You're a means to his end. Your salvation is a means to his end. He saved you first for his glory before he saved you for your own good. Do we know this? Ephesians 1. Just read it sometime. Amen? Meditate on it. It's all for his glory over and over and over and over again. So we sinners in and of ourselves are unacceptable. Do we agree with this? Good. So we, the unacceptable, have been accepted by way of Christ Jesus and as such must accept others who have also been accepted by Christ. Why? Because in the church in Rome, they weren't accepting one another as they ought to have been accepting one another. They had chips on their shoulder. We're Jewish, we have the oracles of God. You are a bunch of Gentiles. The Gentiles, you don't understand freedom in Christ. You're still adhering to old covenant 
pictures and promises that pointed to Christ. Christ has fulfilled it. You don't even get it. Go back to the nursery. You're a baby. We've been welcomed by Christ. The Jews in that church were accepted by Christ. The Gentiles were accepted and received by Christ. Therefore, they were to accept one another, receive one another, welcome one another. When I welcome and when I receive you in your weaknesses and your strength, and you receive me in my strength and many weaknesses, amen? Witness? It doesn't merely result in my and your edification. More than that, it results in the glory of God who purchased us and therefore accepts us based upon the purchase price of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Amen? For Christ, therefore. For Christ did not serve himself. Therefore, accept, receive one another in your weaknesses and in your strengths. Unity, amen, unity in diversity. That's the glory due his name. Remember the difference between intrinsic and ascribed glory? The intrinsic glory of God is the glory he has in and of himself. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me to add to it. There's nothing we can or can't do to detract from it. He has it in and of himself. What we're talking about here is the ascribed glory of God, the glory due his name. And unity in diversity, accepting one another, glorifies his name. Amen? So here then, Paul has labored to stress the point that very different people coming from very different backgrounds in the Lord Jesus Christ are simply called to accept one another, welcome one another. That's very simple, in theory. (laughs) In the same way that Christ accepted or welcomed you. Now, Christians often refer to their accepting Christ, right? I've accepted Christ, uh, as in, I received him as my Lord and Savior, right? We hear that a lot, especially in evangelicalism in America. Well, I accepted Jesus. Paul tells us Christian conduct is to be controlled by not so much the fact that we've accepted Christ as in the fact that he's accepted us, the unacceptable. You're not acceptable in and of yourself because you're a wretched, rotten sinner. And for anyone who thinks they're not a wretched, rotten sinner, I I question whether you're saved. You're a sinner and it's proof. The proof is you're going to die. If you don't die, it's revealed you're not a sinner. The consequence of sin is death. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Christ came and lived the perfect life and then laid down his life unto death. No man took his life, he laid it down. And being in Christ, that's what makes you acceptable. Welcomed. So by way of Christ having accepted us, This is the key of how the church of Jesus Christ is to get along. In spite of our weaknesses, in spite of our strengths, and therefore live as that body of the head. Jesus is the head, we're the body. It has many members, right? Many members. 
When the pinky hurts, the whole body's affected. Now remember, beloved, the original conflict of the church in Rome wasn't so much between the weak and the strong as it was a division, disunity, or conflict between the Jews and the Gentiles. Very different people. Very different backgrounds. Very different people from very, very, very different backgrounds. Now, last week, in these first seven verses, I did my best to give, hopefully, a satisfying explanation of what God's word word was saying in those first seven verses, and that verse seven is connected back to what Paul said in verses three through six. Do you remember all that? The anchor of unity, the for Christ. There is, however, something more here in verse 7 that I I want to get, I want us to get for our life together as the body of Christ, as a church that that comes out by way of its connection to verse 8 and 9 and following. Are you with me? Because as we move towards the end of Paul's epistle, you know what he does? You know what Paul does here? What we just read? He, He goes back to the beginning. He goes back to the beginning. That is, he returns uh, to make some significant points with topics that were central with regard to his very purpose for writing this epistle in the first place. The theme of his treatise is the gospel of Jesus Christ that goes out to who? Jews and Gentiles. Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Paul lays down the theme of the letter in chapter 1. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for what? Salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Power. Dunamis. You've heard that word, right? And you've heard that our word dynamite is a transliteration of that word dunamis. Okay, that's true but it's not a translation of that word in the biblical text. Dunamis does not refer to an explosive powder. They wouldn't have known about that in the first century. Amen? The gospel's not the dynamite of God, but it is the message of grace and mercy and love by way of the Holy Spirit and according to His sovereign grace that becomes operative in the heart of the sinner elected before salvation, before the foundation of the earth for salvation. That's the power. That gospel goes out. It's proclaimed. It may enter the ear gate, but not enter the heart. But God's elect in due time At some point in time, when it enters the ear gate, it enters the heart. That's the effectual call. God calls sinners to himself. My sheep know my voice, and they follow me. Do you follow Christ? You go to church, do you know Christ? I've gone to church all my life, do you know Christ? Better question, does he know you? Not in his sovereignty, but as his little sheep. Paul's point, God is calling all kinds of people to himself as planned from the beginning. This is where he's going. And he goes back to the beginning. 
The power of the gospel saves God's people that he has, been, has, he has determined in eternity past to draw to himself. Through all kinds of different ethnic and cultural backgrounds. That's diversity. That is to be unified in Christ. All of which is anchored in the divine work of Christ. Therefore, welcome one another. You know, there's going to be people who show up here in, in this building, this congregation, perhaps showing interest, perhaps sensing a, a spiritual need. People go to church for all kinds of reasons, and perhaps that's the prompting of the Holy Spirit drawing them in. Well, you know what we want to do with those people? Welcome them. May we be hospitable inside these doors, beloved. Amen. May we welcome people we see for the first time and then welcome again the second time and forever here on after. Amen. May we do that. May that be a habitual practice among us. And you know, it doesn't matter if they're rich. It doesn't matter if they're po. It doesn't matter if they're Jewish, if they're Gentile, if they're black, white, Asian, have a PhD or a GED. If they're called by God, they are one in Christ. Anchored in Christ. Anchored in his work and his worth. Therefore, welcome one another. Amen? To this end, Christ died and lives again. And again, he's gathering a people unto himself. Now, let's face it. It can be a challenge for us, saved by grace who are still what? Sinners saved by grace. It can be a challenge for us to be both unified and growing at the same time. Right? Because sometimes we get territorial. I mean, come on, we're only human, amen? We get territorial. So we must remember that unity does not equal exclusivity. Us four and no more. Or maybe one more because he's my uncle. Right? I'm the oldest of five. In the first four of us, we're born all within five years of one another. My mom. Wow. Wow. Four of us, all within five years, close in age. My brother and I, 11 months apart, were extremely close growing up. Everyone thought we were twins. We were tight, as well as our other two sisters. But then a, a latecomer came to the game. Our little brother. I was 23 when he was born. Been out of the house for five years. Being the leader of the family... I didn't call them up and say, hey, when mom and dad come home from the hospital, I'm flying home, and we're going to stand with picket signs in the driveway saying, us four and no more. (laughs) We didn't contest his arrival, amen? We'd already been a family unit for a long time. And I left that family unit. I was 18, I was grown up, it was time to go. So I went and moved far away. When I got word, I flew home for the celebration. I flew home for the birth. 
I flew home to rejoice with the family. I flew home to rejoice with the household. Paul writes the church at Ephesus. And he's speaking about the divine truth of Jew and Gentile becoming one. Those who were far off, Gentiles had been what? Brought near. The middle wall of separation had been broken down in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.15. You're no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Chapter 3, verse 14. I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. One household, one family, both of which are anchored in the same thing, the same person, that is Christ Jesus. Anchored in Him. One. Therefore, welcome one another as you have been welcomed. And all of this is due to the supernatural grace of God, is it not? Nothing glorifies God more or as much as the unity of His children in accord with His love. Listen to what Leon Morris says, quote, oh, it's right there. God's glory was promoted when Christ received us as sinners. It is further advanced when we who are by nature, what? Sinners and wrapped up in our own concerns, instead receive our brothers and sisters in Christ with warmth and love. End quote. Let me ask you this. What is or what has been your agenda as a member of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether you're a member here or you've been a member elsewhere, what has been your agenda? Do you have an agenda to promote unity? Not where there's heresy. I'm not talking about that. Where the essentials are embraced. Do you have an agenda to promote unity within the body of Christ? This should be our agenda. This should be a motivation of ours. And that's the vision that Paul is setting before these people at the Church of Rome here in the first century. Two groups that have enormous chips on their shoulder. They're anchored in Christ. And we forget this. An unworthy sinner accepted by the grace of God through his son Jesus Christ who refuses to accept their brother because maybe they're more immature or whatever. We've been over this for weeks, amen? So Paul now moves, check this out. Paul moves from exhorting in the negative, right? He's calling us not to offend our weaker brother. Don't grieve another brother. May those weak in Christ or those who are immature, look at them mature mature and judge them because of certain freedoms that they exercise. Don't sit in the judgment seat. And certainly, you stronger brothers and sisters, don't place a stumbling block before your weaker brothers or sisters and cause them to fall into sin. So that's been the negative aspect of the teaching thus far. Now, beginning in verse 8, as is his custom, the Apostle Paul moves from the theoretical to this, the redemptive historical. This is rich. You do not want to miss this. 
Verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. Still, we're talking about the servant, Lord Jesus Christ. Servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promise given to the patriarchs. That phrase, for I tell you, is emphatic, indicating that what follows is of great doctrinal importance. He's a servant. What kind of servant? What kind of servant was Jesus? Well, quite simply, notice. What did Jesus say? I, the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve and to lay his life down as a ransom for what? For many. Not all without exception, but many. He came, in other words, to take the sin problem away forever. Right? Forever. No more animal sacrifices, which served as a picture of substitution of the innocent for the guilty. No more pictures like that required. It's fulfilled. It's all fulfilled. The blood of the hyssop branch sprinkled on the people and on the side of the altar needs to be sprinkled no more. Fulfilled. The servant who by his blood, John the Baptist said, is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He became a servant to the circumcised, to the Jew, as promised. As promised. Cleansing you, making you right with God, living in your place, dying in your place, serving for your acceptance. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Why? Notice. This is why. Notice the text. In order to show God's truthfulness. In other words, in order to confirm promises given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. All the way back to Abraham. He came to fulfill those promises. And he did. He did. That day was coming. And that day did not only include the circumcised, that was the sign of the covenant, circumcision, i.e. the Jewish people, but Gentiles also according to the same Abrahamic promise. For through you, Abraham, all the nations of the world shall be blessed. Blessed. Paul will now reiterate one of the earlier themes laid out back in Romans 4, namely, that the inclusion of the Gentiles into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise. It's all there. It's a one people of God. Do we see this, beloved? You see what Paul is doing? And then he goes on now and he cites a number of passages from the law, the prophets, and the psalms to make his point. This is so rich. Verse 9. And in order that the Gentiles, okay, circumcised people, right? And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name from Psalm 18. David writes Psalm 18 in the 10th century B.C. saying, I am praising God among the Gentiles. 
Paul is bringing us back to what he's been dealing with throughout the epistle. And that is the the, the place and function of the Gentiles in the kingdom of God, i.e. in the new covenant. This has always been his plan. So all you Jews with the chips on your shoulder in the church at Rome, this has always been God's plan. Always. Gentile believers were grafted onto the tree of covenant. Amen? Grafted onto the tree that was made with Israel. That covenantal promise made with Israel. So it's solely by God's grace that we're here. Solely by God's grace that Gentiles find themselves as part of, and here it is, don't miss this, true Israel. Because not all Israel is Israel. True Israel. Verse 9, for the purpose of what again? For his glory. For his praise. Unity in diversity is for the praise of his glory. May we not forget that. And in our day, it's red, yellow, black, and white. We're all precious in his sight. We come from different backgrounds, different income levels, different neighborhoods, different sins, unified, anchored in Christ. And again, Paul goes on, and again, don't you love it? And again, let me prove this to you, and again, let me prove it to you, and let me use scripture to do it. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with this people. Rejoice with this people. His people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. In other words, that is, praise him, all you nations. All you nations. He quotes Deuteronomy 32, saying that the Old, the Old Testament scriptures indicate the Gentiles will sing for joy along with Israel. This is a merger, beloved, of one people with one voice, with one mind, serving one Lord, with one faith, One baptism. One people of God. How many ways can a man be saved? One way. He quotes from Psalm 117, right there in verse 10. Verse 11. Once again, reiterating the call of the psalmist for the Gentile nations to praise the God of Israel. Paul's point is simple. Why would Gentiles be praising the God of Israel if the Old Testament were not teaching us to hope for the salvation of the Gentiles through the same Messiah promised to Israel? What does this tell us about salvation, friends? There always has been and there always will be one way to be saved. That's it. How many times have you heard, well, friend, you know, Jesus... Is good for you, and I'm really happy for you. And Jesus, you know, is your Messiah, but he's not mine. Well, who's your Messiah? Who's your Savior? And then fill in the blank. Or how many even Christians today attempt to be politically correct and say, can we really say Jesus is the only way? Yes, you do. Because Paul does, and Jesus himself did. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Uh, No one comes to the Father except through me. Nobody. If you're here today, you came in thinking your way is the right way, it's not this way. If you came in today thinking salvation is just to do my best, you are on the broad road that leads to hell. 
This is the good news. Gospel means good news. Literally, gospel means good news. Good news because there's bad news. The bad news is you're on the broad road that leads to destruction because you think there's another way to be saved other than Jesus Christ. The good news is if you repent of that thinking and turn yourself by faith to Jesus Christ, the only one who can provide you that life because he came and lived and died and rose again, validating his work, validating his worth, if you place your faith and trust in him and him alone, you shall be saved. Come to him today where the facts become reality of trust and faith. Paul has never considered the idea of there being some other way for Gentiles to enter into fellowship apart from Jesus Christ. And let me add this, friends. Paul has never considered any Jew to enter into covenant with God outside of Jesus Christ. Why? Verse 12, and again. Here's another and again. Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. So there he's citing Isaiah 11.10. Bobby read from that right here from this pulpit this morning. Paul reminds us that King David's greater son, okay, David's heir, Jesus, is also his origin. His creator, the root of Jesse, Jesse was David's father. He's the root and the offspring. He's the creator of David and David's offspring as a human being, the promised king of kings from the throne of David the king, Israel's greatest king. Jesus is true Israel. Jesus is the true king of kings. God's purpose from the beginning is that in the messianic age, the gospel would go out to the ends of the earth and it has and it is still to this day. So the call of this passage is a call to rejoice in God's plan, promised and having been worked out and is being worked out. Two have become one. Therefore, ain't no room for any chip on anybody's shoulder. Amen? Context, first century Rome. Context, 21st century San Diego. God's plan has always always been to bring Jew and Gentile alike into the kingdom. This is not an afterthought. This is not plan B. God's never had a plan B. That's Paul's point. God's never had a plan B, ever. And this, by the way, side note, throws a wrench into the gears of our dispensational friends. And I did say friends. Our dispensational friends, some of whom say that the church is a mystery in the Old Testament. No, it's not. That's an indefensible argument when you read the scriptures. Everyone should be going, yeah, amen, bro. Come on. There's only one people of God throughout redemptive history, always has been, that is this, true Israel. True Israel. From among national Israel, first and foremost, from among national Israel, and then those Gentiles grafted into the covenantal tree, also promised to Abraham. Two into one. 
You should rejoice. If you're not ethnic Jew, you should especially be rejoicing today. That means all of us, I think. (laughs) So from the Old Testament times to New Testament times, the point is we're all anchored in Christ, who's the true Israelite. You want to know who a true Jew is? You've got to look to Jesus. That's the true Jew. That's the standard. That's God's standard. That's true Israel. That's the vine. We're the branches. So people in the Old Testament were saved on credit. We in the New Testament are saved by way of debit. Great illustration I heard once. Well, Old Testament saints, how were they saved? By faith in Jesus Christ. They laid down the credit card of God's promises for his son. And Jesus came and paid the debt. We live off a debit card, card, and we withdraw from the payment made at Calvary. Same Lord, same Savior, one God, one people. Amen is right. Amen. That's not my word. That's his. Paul closes, notice, with an intercessory benediction. Verse 13. May the God of hope fill you. Notice this now. You're you're going to trip on this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Paul petitions the Lord to fill the Roman Christians, Jew and Gentile, both weak and strong, mature and immature, fill them with joy and peace. Which is the fruit of what? Chapter 14, verse 17. Chapter 14, verse 17. Fruit of the presence of his kingdom. Joy, peace, and hope rise in connection with faith, believing as you trust as a one people of God. Paul knows that the unity of the church is not an automatic proposition. Right? That's not an automatic in the church. That's why we have to be reminded of these things. He knows that conflict within the church can be incredibly disappointing, discouraging, discouraging, and a harmony killer. He knows this. So notice this. The so that... Notice the so that of the prayer. So that is that we would be characterized by abounding hope derived by the power of what spirit? The Holy Spirit who lives in you and lives in me. Therefore, we're enabled to be unified. Enabled. Anything less is to quench the spirit or grieve the spirit. Do you not always repent of grieving the spirit? Do you not every day repent of grieving the Spirit or quenching the Spirit? I do. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we abound in hope, looking back at the course of redemptive history, which Paul has brought us to here, seeing how God has fulfilled the promises he made to us through the prophets of old, fulfilled in the church. So anything that he's promised in the past that came to fulfillment the promises that yet remain, we can be assured will what? Will be fulfilled as well. That way we can encourage one another to endure to the end. To endure to the end. And then we can rejoice together and praise together. So, 
to close. Mutual love, mutual acceptance is the true mark of covenant love. It's the true mark of covenant love. A one people purchased by one Savior who alone fulfills all of these promises of Scripture. That's why there's only one way any sinner can be saved. This is it. So the weak and the strong, mature and immature, those who know more, those who know less, different people from different backgrounds with different preferences, different affections are all anchored in one sovereign Savior. That's Paul's point. Equally welcomed, equally accepted by Jesus Christ. Because what do we share? Remember last time? This is what we share together. You might not share an affection for certain styles as I do, or I'm not sure certain tastes in music as you do. Amen? That stuff doesn't even matter. This is what matters. We share, number one, last time, a common conviction about Jesus, number one. Secondly, we share a, a common confidence in Jesus, faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, according to his grace alone, and Soli Deo Gloria, his glory alone, and Sola Scriptura, according to his word alone. We share in that, faith in Christ, and we share in a common connection with Jesus, which results in common care for the glory of Jesus. That's what he's at. That's what he's after. So once again, there's no sections in the church for the superior and the, and the inferior. The superior and the inferior. The superior and the inferior. You're all superior in God's eyes because you're in his son. When the church lives together harmoniously under the grace of God, we become living proof to the world. They will know you by the love you have, not for them, for one another. They will know you by the love you have for one another because we're rooted and anchored in Christ. If we can't deal with our problems here and we go to the world to deal with our problems, we really got a problem. (laughs) Big problem. It's for the glory of his name, amen. Unity in diversity for the glory of the King. Father, we do thank you for your kindness, your grace, and your mercy. We thank you that we're not alike, but we do share in common the truth of your Son given to us according to the Scriptures long, long ago, rooted and anchored in Him alone. So help us, Lord, in our diversity, to be unified as a testimony to the world and to love one another. Lord, we can only do that by faith because we often irritate one another. Lord, we know this. So help us by faith to do so as you instruct us to do for the glory of your name above all else. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.